0: All right, so we are starting this series, our Advent series we're starting today, is called The Vices and Virtues of Christmas. And admittedly, this series has been kind of knocking around in my head for over a year now, that I kind of feel like there are these certain vices that we have around money that rear their head during the Advent season. And so there's been kind of this, I kind of want to do this series where we look at these vices and look at these virtues. If you don't know what a vice is, a vice is something that entices us and gets a hold of our heart and causes us to live under its rule and uh, it causes us even to live out certain sinful behaviors at times and then I wanted to contrast those with virtues the, the the goodness that God calls us to the virtuous things that he calls us to but admittedly as I was thinking through this series even over a year ago now I, I was I, I couldn't quite figure out how to how to do it and I, I kind of felt like man everything I was coming up with just sounded like a sermon where I said hey don't be be bad, little boys and girls, be good, little boys and girls. And so I didn't feel great ab- about doing a series like that. But a few weeks ago, uh, maybe even over a month ago now, I was reading in my own personal reading, and I read this passage from 2 Peter. Uh, we'll start in verse 3. And what I, what's highlighted to me is in verse 5. It says this, His divine power, so Jesus' divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life. And so as I was reading that, and as I was kind of thinking how to do that in an Advent series for this year potentially, I said, I realize that virtue is a good thing for us. That, that God wants us to supplement our faith with virtue. And so I don't want to preach a sermon where I say, hey, let's be good little boys and girls. But as I'm reading through Second Peter, and I see what Peter says to the people of God, the thing that they need to supplement their faith with, or what some translations say supply their faith with, is virtue, goodness, righteousness, right behavior, doing the right things, living like God would live if he was us. And so I, I, as I read that passage, I said, okay, I think I am going to do this series, The Vices and Virtues of Christmas. And so here's what the series is going to look like. We're going to look at some of these vices around money in particular that we have that I think rear their head in the Christmas season, and then we're going to contrast those with virtues that, that I think Jesus would walk us into as our rabbi, as, our, as the one who disciples us, Jesus, the things that he would walk us into. And we'll, uh, and we'll contrast those virtues and we'll try to live into those virtues. And then to keep it Adventy, we will look at how these virtues are displayed by God and his character in the Advent story. Okay, And so that's what we're going to do. Um, I know that already some of you are going, okay, why money, though? Why vices around money? Why do you think, Anthony, that around the Christmas season that there are these vices around money and materialism and consumerism that that rear their ugly head? I'll, I'll prove it to you by telling you something about Christian culture, okay? Here's something about Christian culture you need to know, specifically Christian parent culture, Okay? Here's Christian parent culture. I don't know what happened, but once I had a kid that could understand, all of a sudden, Christmas for me became about making sure my kid knew that Christmas was really about Jesus and his birth. And so what happens to Christian parents, and this is the Christian parent culture thing, is constantly throughout the Christmas season, Christian parents are saying to their little kids, hey, no, but what's, 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 what's Christmas really about? right? The kids will be like going out watching a Christmas movie and like, oh, I love Rudolph with red-nosed reindeer, like all that. Hey, okay, okay, hey, hey, that's great. But what's Christmas really about, Right? And then our kids never know the answer. And even I feel like sometimes as a parent, I'm like, what is Christ-miss really about? Like, I'm just getting, I'm like, come on, help me. It's like our, our justification as parents rises and falls on if this kid answers the question right. Don't even get me started if a stranger asks our kid that question. Or just as a parent, like beads of sweat. Just like, you know this. I've told you this. Right? Don't embarrass me, right? And so we're, we're, we, we, there's this thing in Christian culture where, where we as parents are, are constantly going, like, our kids are forgetting the, what Christmas is about. And can we blame them, right? Like, there's all sorts of things that our culture displays, lights, movies, gifts. Like, how are you, gonna, how are you not going to think Christmas is about gifts when once a year you get all these gifts from everybody? Like, and, and, and so our kids answer the questions based on those things. And and my point about this illustration is showing what our kids see about Christmas is this. Often how we in our culture celebrate Christmas is not centered around Jesus. Now, he's ancillary or he might be in the songs or he might be part of it, but he's not really the center of it. Often for us, even us as Christians, and again, I'm not saying Christmas traditions are bad, so don't feel guilt-tripped and be like, I can't go watch Rudolph anymore. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the way that the world celebrates Christmas has kind of swept us up, and we find ourselves celebrating Christmas often in a use of our money that's the way that the world does. We find ourselves in things like having a consumeristic heart we find ourselves uh, really becoming materialistic all of a sudden and wanting material things for ourselves. And so even though our kids uh, are answering gifts and Christmas lights and Santa Claus and all these different things when we ask them what Christmas is about and we really want them to know it's about Jesus, guess what, guys? Kids don't run the world. Adults run the world. And they're just interpreting what, what their experience of Christmas is like. And so I th- I think our kids show something that's going on in us around money. Some some vices that we have around money, vices that ensnare us and entrap us and we don't even realize their vices at times and they control even how we celebrate and how we live in this Christmas season. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at some vices. I want to look at the virtue that Christ calls us to. And again, look at how Christ displays that virtue in the Advent story, okay? So, the vice, so each week of the series, we'll look at some different vices and some different virtues. And a lot of times, these vices and virtues, are two sides of the same coin. And so, but we're splitting apart for a variety of different reasons just to focus on some of these vices in different ways. And so today, the vices that we're going to talk about is the love of money, and greed. And the virtue that we're going to talk about is generosity. Okay, so the vices we're going to talk about is the love of money and greed and then the virtue that we're going to talk about today is generosity. Okay, so let's look at how the Bible talks about these vices, how the Bible talks about the vices of the love of money and greed. So first let's look at the love of money. How does the Bible talk about the love of money? It has strong words for the love of money. Look at First Timothy 6, Nine and ten, it says this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare or a vice, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Strong words about the love of money. Strong, strong words about the love of money. Paul seems to want to warn Timothy that in his ministry, he's going to run into a lot of people with the love of money. Jesus, when he teaches uh, in the, on the Sermon on the Mount, or in the Sermon on the Mount, about money, he, he, he teaches them, hey, use your money differently than how the world uses their money. Think about money the way differently than how the world thinks about money. And then he closes that part of the sermon with this uh, admonishment, encouragement. In Matthew six twenty four. Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus really wanted to point out that when it comes to money, it easily becomes your God. And it becomes your God in a way that God is not your God, that Jesus is not your God. More strong words about love of money. Uh, even the Old Testament the Old Testament talks about the love of money a lot. Ecclesiastes 5: a book about wisdom and kind of going, "Hey, I've tried everything in this world, and it's still lacking, and I just feel kind of hopeless. This is what Ecclesiastes says in chapter five, verse 10. "He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income." This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. In Ecclesiastes, he says, man, those people that love money, they're they're just never satisfied with it. They're never even satisfied with the income that they're making. That's not us, though. We're not. None of us could relate to that. All throughout the Bible, there are lots of verses about the love of money as a warning to our souls, saying, hey, stay away from that. It easily becomes a God that rules over you. It becomes a vice that grips our hearts and controls us. The Bible has strong words to say about the love of money. But the Bible also has strong words to say about its evil twin brother, greed. Because the love of money, it's a little, like we could all love money in here and keep it a secret. Like it's really easy. If you really love money, to keep it a secret inside of you. Greed is a, it's a little bit harder, right? Greed get, gets movies made about it, right? Like Wolf of Wall Street. I, I promise I haven't seen it. Um, I, I'm serious. I haven't seen it, to be clear. But this movie, from what I know, is about greed. And greed in the Bible is kind of like this evil twin brother to the love of money because greed in the Bible is often connected to hoarding. It's often connected to getting money in unsavory or sinful or unethical ways. Greed in the Bible is often connected to indulgence. So let's look at some of the verses uh, about greed in the Bible. Proverbs 28, 25 says this, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. This greedy man causes trouble in his community, causes strife in his world. Jesus, he, he has this problem with the Pharisees uh, in Matthew 23, 25. He's saying all these kinds of things that he has problems with these religious teachers and and just the ways that they're mishandling the Bible and mis, uh, misunderstanding who God is. And this is one of his problems with them is greed. Look what he says in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-five: Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean." Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6-10, he, he's, he's got these long lists of sins, and greed is one of those sins. Peter, also, he's talking to some false teachers of his day, and greediness is a problem he has with them. Look at 2 Peter two fourteen and 15. It says this, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Okay, why do I read all these verses? I am not trying to guilt trip you guys. But the Bible talks a lot about these two vices, the love of money and greed. And I want us, this, this Christmas season, this Advent season, to ask ourselves, do these vices have a grip on our heart? Do these things have control over us? Do, do these things cause us to behave in certain ways? Because, guys, guess what? Our culture, we live in a culture that celebrates the love of money. That, and it probably doesn't celebrate greed, but I think it kind of celebrates greed itself. And yet the Bible time and time and time and time again talks about the love of money as a major problem. It talks about greed as a major problem. And so I want us this Advent season to look at some of these things that I think do rear their head in materialism and consumerism and ask ourselves, do I have a love of money? Do I have greediness in my heart? And so let's take a few, let's literally, let's take a few minutes and just talk through that a little bit and think through those two vices and whether or not you and I have those in our hearts. So first, the love of money. Do you love money? Is this a vice in your life? Is this, does, does this have a vice grip over your heart? Here's a good test for if you have love of money in you. Do you think about money the way you used to think about crushes? It's really easy You think about it all the time. and You're, like, excited when you think about it, like you can't get enough of it. Like, is that how you think about money? Right? Some of you had crushes a very long time ago, so you've got to think back. Is that how you think about money? Do you think about it like, it like it's a crush, like it's a lover almost? And you go, no, I don't think, no, but think about it. Is the way you think about money the same way that you used to think about crushes you had? Do you think about money... Uh, like a lover. I want to be clear. Some of us are thinking about money a lot because it's hard to pay our bills, okay? And I think that's probably something different, but it also probably is some form of a love of money. Do Do you love money? A way to check if you love money is, are most of the decisions you make in life based on how to get more money? You might love it. If, that's, if most of your decisions are based on how you can get more money in life, you might love money. Like, Do you pick where you live because you can get the most money there? Do you uh, feel the most despair when an unexpected bill comes even though you have plenty of money to pay the bill? Do you, did the career that you picked... Was the career that you picked for yourself based on the skill sets you have and also our jobs have to pay the bills and also that it could pay the bills or was it solely based on, well, this career can give me the most money. You might love money if any of those things are true. If you have decided where you live, where you can get the most money, if you've decided the sort of career you have so that you could get the most money, you might have a love of money in your heart. It's not wrong to want to make money to pay our bills or to be generous. Those those are good things. But I think sometimes we cloak our love of money in saying those things. And there's this deep love of money in our hearts, we have to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, do we have a healthy relationship with money? Do we love it? Because Jesus says, either that thing that you love is going to be your master or he will. And so is the love of money, a vice grip over your heart, controlling your actions, defining you, alluring you, exciting you, despairing you, do you have the love of money in your heart as a vice grip controlling you? If you do, Jesus has a better way, and we'll talk about that after we talk about greed here. So let's talk about greed, the evil twin brother of the love of money. Surely none of us, none of us would be greedy, right? Um, greed is—it's hoarding, it's wanting far more than you need. It's a—it's a chase after money because it's—it's it's never enough. Uh, but then when I was reading the Bible and looking at what it says about greed, greed is often linked to indulgence, and that made me nervous, if I'm honest, because I love indulgence, okay? I, I just love indulgence, okay? Uh, a, I mean, one of my kids' advent calendars uh, got opened up yesterday by one of the other kids, and a good parent would say, let's put these chocolates away, and I said, no, it's ruined. Let's eat them all, right? Like, I, I, <laughs> I love indulgence, okay? I have a problem. And so when I see that in the Bible greed is linked to indulgence, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and when I see how much our culture indulges itself all the time, and how we're swept up in that, when I see that greed is linked to indulgence, it, it makes me pause and go, wait, am I greedy? Greed in the Bible, it's also linked to getting money in unjust ways, or perhaps maybe even uh, so you can keep money. <laughs> You do unjust things, right? None of us do that. None of us go to the movies and use our old student ID after we've already graduated college (laughs) so we could save 50 cents, right? None of us do that, right? And you're going, Anthony, what's the big deal about that? Who cares? One, it's lying. Two, I think it is greedy. All right? Harkins, you know all their royalty cups. I think they all go to proceeds of the Phoenix Children's Hospital. I might be wrong on that, but I think that's true. So, pick a different victim, Robin Hood. Like I don't, I like, and don't pick a different victim. But, but I think even the, a little thing like that shows, like, man, there's just something in us that wants to hoard wealth to ourselves, and we'll go to lying in order to do it. We'll find loopholes. We'll do unethical things. So we can quench our desire to have more money. So we can have more things. We might even feel guilty about it, but we justify it. We justify our actions. Everybody does that. Maybe you're just, maybe you're just flat out like John D. Rockefeller. Have you heard this famous uh, quote in this interview with John D. Rockefeller, who's one of the like, biggest business types? Ty- tycoons in American history. like the, the percentage of wealth he had is probably far greater, in a sense, than any of our richest people. And in an interview somebody said, hey, uh, how much money is enough? And his response was, just a little bit more. If any of those things that I said about greed sound like you, greed might have a vice grip over your heart. Greed might be something that's snared your heart. Because you're beginning to live and do things that are not the way of Christ, not the way of God's people, not what God has for us. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to look in the mirror and we have to ask ourselves in a culture that is very decadent, in a culture that loves money a ton, in a culture that is greedy very often we have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, do I have those same cultural idols and behaviors? And if we do, we have to turn to those things and turn to Jesus. We have to say, okay, that way of life is not right. It might make me happy for a time, but that way of life is not what God has for me. And we turn to Jesus, who disciples us, into another way. Jesus... uh, has a better way. He has a virtue for us to live into. There's a virtue that I want to contrast with greed and the love of money that I think Jesus calls us into. And Paul quotes Jesus teaching about this virtue in Acts 20, 35. What's amazing about this is this quote from Paul of Jesus is not in any of the Gospels, and you can wrestle with that in all sorts of ways. But I actually think because Jesus was an itinerant teacher, and he taught all sorts of things, that there were teachings of Jesus going around. And Paul knew this teaching of Jesus. And let's read what Jesus said to the people of God and how we are to live. Acts 20, 35. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more Blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The virtue that Jesus wants to walk us into, to follow, to live out, is generosity. Jesus wants his people, he wants his disciples to be disciples that give. That give away their money. That are generous with their money. I think generous with their whole lives, but I think that Jesus specifically was talking about money. I think Jesus wants us to give of our resources, to help the weak, to care for the weak. Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is better for us as humans to give away what we have than to receive more. That's what Jesus teaches us. That's the virtue that Jesus wants to walk us into. He wants to walk us into a virtue of generosity. And the reason I want to contrast these vices and virtues is because I think a lot of times the way, part of the way that we abandon these vices is by walking into the virtue that Jesus has for us. But that's not the only way to abandon these vices. We have to look at God himself. And we have to see that God himself is a generous God. If we want hearts that change and and stop loving money and move away from greed, we have to realize that God has been generous to us, that God himself is generous. And that's why we, as we image God, are generous ourselves. And so if we want to live into this virtue of generosity, we have to see how God is generous throughout the whole Bible. The Bible is a, has a stream of God's generosity throughout it. The start of the story of God's works in the world is he creates everything. Earth itself is a display of God's generosity. God made this earth for us to enjoy, to cultivate, to be blessed by his gifts that are in it. He made enough in this earth to provide for all. God was generous in his creation, and then he was even generous in how he created us. He gave us life, just so we could experience and know him and know his love and enjoy him. God is generous to us in the picture of creation. And then humanity messed that all up. And then God, in his rescue plan, there is constantly a stream of his generosity. Time and time again, God is generous to the people of God, to the families of God. God constantly provides in extraordinary ways and is generous to the people of God. And he constantly calls them to remember that generosity. And then he calls them to live out that generosity. Throughout the Old Testament, as the people of God, as God formed this nation, Israel, and had them represent him in this nation, he had all sorts of laws for them to follow that enacted generosity. He had laws for them to take care of the poor. He had laws enacted in Israel's laws that forced business owners to care for the poor. He had laws that had the people of God take care of each other in a variety of ways. He had laws that had the people of God take care of the sojourner, the foreigner, traveling through their land. Constantly, God is inviting the people of God into generous lives because it displays him. It displays his generosity. And so if we want to be a generous people, we have to see that God himself is a generous God. God. And this stream keeps going throughout the whole Bible. In the New Testament, the early Christians were massively generous. You've read Acts. I've read Acts. We see how they deal with money and how they just give it away. How they have all things in common, as Acts says. They were a generous people because they knew their generous God. It's funny to me. I think it's also telling to me. A lot of times we read Acts and we go, well, that's... That's descriptive, or that's prescriptive, that's prescriptive, that's prescriptive. But then when we look at how the disciples dealt with money in Acts, we go, whoa, that that was just descriptive. That was just describing what was happening. Now listen, I think Acts is a book that you have to be careful how you interpret it. And there are hermeneutics uh, to to interpret it, right? But it's just funny to me that I've noticed in my own life the, the major thing in Acts that we go, whoa, 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 is how they dealt with money. Could it be pointing out an idol? Could it be pointing out something in us? The people in Acts, the Christians in Acts, the reason they were generous is because they, they knew the Advent story. They had experienced it. They would seen it with their own eyes. And the Advent story itself is a story of God's generosity. God the Father gave his Son to the world because he loved the world. The people in Acts, they knew that. They knew that God, their Father in Heaven, had given His Son so that they could be saved, so that they could experience the love of God, so that they could be reconnected to God. And so for the people in Acts, when they are living out this sort of generosity all throughout the early church, they're living it out rooted in the fact that they know that they have a God that has been extremely generous to them. The Advent story is full of generosity god's generosity to us this is why i do actually love that we give gifts at christmas time i love that because we are trying to be generous to one another and it is imaging who god is in his generosity we are called to be a generous people And so there's all sorts of vices and virtues that are vices that we find ourselves enthralled by. And I just, I want us as the church this Advent season to go, are those things in my life? And I want the remedy to be not just be good, but I want the remedy to be look at how God has been good to us. Look at how God has been generous to us and let that change us. Let that cause us to worship differently. And when I say worship, I mean the totality of our lives and how we live is worship of God. And when we look at his generosity, we will become a generous people. And so there are a lot of vices of the day, money, love, greed. But God wants to walk us into generosity because he's generous. It's who he is and it's who he's made us to be. And so I could, the rest of the sermon could be like, uh, okay, be generous, guys. Like, and here's 10 ways to be generous, right? Uh, but you guys know how to do this. <laughs> I think you guys know how to do this. I don't think you need 10 ways from me. Uh, the Bible calls it be generous to the poor. Be generous to each other. Be generous to your neighbor. Be generous to your local church. We know how to be generous, and if we don't, I encourage you, learn how to be even better at being generous. Read some books. Here's three books you could read. If you are like, I'm not sure how to be good at being generous, here's some books to read. Uh, read Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Read When Helping Hurts by, I think his name's Fickert. Uh, read Practicing the King's Economy by Michael Rhodes and Ro- Robbie Holt. I hope somebody reads those books. Um, I don't, we know what generosity looks like. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we're just, uh, we could be better at it. And so go, learn how to be generous. Read these books by godly people who are seeking to be generous people and live into that virtue. I think you guys know how to do, do this. But this Advent season, let this Advent season form us in a way That we see God's generosity in the arrival of his son to earth. That it causes us to abandon and and cut ourselves out of, or really it's God cutting us out of, these vices that have grips over our hearts and live into these virtues that God has for us. The first one being generosity. Let let this Advent story be so real to us that we can't help but be generous. Generous. A lot of times we treat Advent like fairy tales we tell once a year. But it is is real. It is real events that happen. It is mighty acts of God displayed in history to save us. It is God's generous heart for this world that we see in the Advent story. And let his generous heart change us and cause us to become a generous people and abandon whatever vices we have of money, love, or greed. Is the the arrival of Christ so real to you that you can be even more generous this Advent season than you've ever been and for the rest of your life? Jesus really came. Jesus really said it's better to give than to receive. Are you going to believe him this Christmas? Are we going to follow him down this path of generosity that he has for us? Let's pray. Pray with me. God, thank you for your generosity. Thank you that we just experienced this uh, beautiful picture of your generosity and giving the world your son. And we're reminded of it every Advent season when we take time to celebrate that story of your arrival. And so God help us to be a generous people. Help us to listen to this command or listen to this promise really that you made that it's better to give than to receive. That we're more blessed if we give rather than receive. So God really work in us. Help us to self-examine. Help us to see how much we really love money or how much we are how how we are greedy in our lives. And help us to repent from those things, turn from those things, and turn to you and turn to your generosity and live lives of generosity rather than lives of money, love, and greed. God, we need you for this to go well. We're thankful that you've been so generous to us. This Advent season, help us to see your generosity in all its depths. Amen.